Welcome to Do We Like Movies. I'm your host, Angel. And I'm six degrees of your other coast, Kevin Bacon. All right. I'm, I'm, I'm Holly. Yeah, because we reviewed Hol- we're reviewing Hollow Man, right? This week we're reviewing the 2020 remake of The Invisible Man. No, Hollow Man. <laughs> uh, this is, like we said, a 2020 movie. It is uh, directed by Lee Wanell, who is uh, the co-writer of Insidious, as well as the original Saw movie uh, with his partner, well, with his uh, filmmaking partner, uh, James Wan. Remember, Saw 1 was the good one. <laughs> yeah, well, you know what? I think those first two are pretty good. Eh, the second one was all right. Like... Yeah, it's the first one is is like the one. Um, but anyway, uh, so this is his first movie that he's ever directed before. He's mostly been the screenplay and story guy uh, for the previous movies that he's been on. So this is... So this, we can't really get started talking about this movie until we talk about Universal's Dark Universe. Oh, <laughs> I hope you guys are ready for one of like, the most <laughs> shameless attempts at a cash grab in recent history. All right. One of the reasons I hate Marvel is not even Marvel's fault, right? Marvel did such a fucking fantastic job at uh, building a shared universe with uh, different characters that it became something that now every single fucking franchise has to do. Star Wars has to be Marvel. Uh, Spider-Man has to be Marvel. Um, Horror movies have to be Marvel now uh, with this dark universe. Monster movies are, you know, Marvel now with the Godzilla Kong universe that was created. Um, And... (laughs) So Universal's idea <clears throat> was that they would start doing remakes of the original classic monster movies. Some and... of y'all may remember those <laughs> movies, including that Dracula untold story one. No, it act- well, it's not actually that. That one's not part of the official dark universe. That, oh, that's really? Said, so it's just it, mummy? <laughs> that said, it's a good thing that you do bring that up because... Universal's been trying to remake their monster movies for like a super long time, right? Mm-hmm. Um, they did, for the longest time, there was a movie that I was hearing about, like this was like 15, 10, 15 years ago, uh, or maybe it's just 10 years ago, but they were trying to create a modern version of Bride of Frankenstein, uh, you know, like just uh they did that wolfman movie like you know either at the end of last decade or early this decade the hugo weaving one um they did i don't not remember that are you serious yeah they did and it was directed by uh joe johnston who was the guy who directed captain america the first avenger and he also directed (laughs) your favorite uh jurassic park (laughs) three yeah um and i Every single time that they've tried to do a remake of these movies, basically it flops, right? Like that is the only thing that you need to know. Um, Ooh, sorry, I found the Wolfman in it. This is a fever dream. <laughs> wow, this actually happened. It sure did. And um, so what they wanted to do was they wanted to launch the idea of a dark universe, which, you know, the old Universal movies did this, successfully did this, I guess. They did the Wolfman versus Frankenstein uh you know uh they did house of dracula and house of frankenstein which is like these just like giant like monster mash movies (laughs) and um which that's what they wanted to try to do again 
But what they were going to do first is introduce each one of these monsters in their own entry. So 2017, uh, Tom Cruise stars in the remake of The Mummy, which is supposed to be like the movie that launched this idea. I did not watch that movie. And every single review that I'd heard about just said that that movie was absolute poison, right? And I have established <laughs> how much I love the original Mummy. Not even, not the original, original Mummy, but like the 1990-whatever Mummy mm-hmm. that we reviewed and that I fell in love with and that started my love affair with, with Brendan Fraser. <laughs> yeah, but that movie was more of like an adventure series and it really didn't have the roots in the original horror film as like... As I guess they were intending with that 2017 movie, which I don't know well enough to say, so I cannot speak on it. But basically, that movie was so bad that it like it killed the idea of creating a shared universe. So much like what DC is trying to do now, where they're like, "All right, well, you know, the Avengers ripoff isn't going to work, so we should just start uh, doing these individual movies by these interesting directors or interesting people and have them." put their vision on screen and maybe we'll end up with more successful movies that way right which is how they got joker and how they're getting you know trying to get back on board right now with batman and and other properties right Mm -hmm. so the idea was you go to the people that are doing horror better than anyone else right now and uh, there's no doubt in anyone's mind that the blumhouse studio really is blumhouse is marvel right now they are the standard of horror studios like everything that comes out of there is good and that's because jason blum is a guy who um basically he's he's good at getting people who know what the hell they're doing and stays out of their way for the most part (laughs) the guy successfully brought back halloween you know like he brought Halloween back from that 2009 Rob Zombie bizarre sequel where Michael Myers was like a hobo wandering through cornfields. <laughs> like, like it is, it's amazing the kind of stuff that happens. And obviously, you know, he gets the prestige like from having Get Out, which is, you know, an Academy Award winning film. And um, in 2018, which is, you know, one of the first movies that we did in our review, I think it was episode three, we did the 2018 Halloween remake, which I am a huge fan of. And in that movie, we talked a lot about how, you know, Jamie Lee Curtis considered her movie to be like a bit of a Me Too horror film. And that became like the buzzword around that movie. And I just remember watching it and be like, yes, I, I, I love Halloween 2018. I think it's a great movie. But I don't think that the movie has as much depth as maybe Jamie Lee Curtis thought it did. (laughs) And I I say that because I think this is the movie that absolutely um, captures, you know, more of just this gritty reality and just is able to take a classic movie from 1933, H.G. Wells novel from 1897 and they're able, and he's able to remake it. And a stroke of genius in this is that instead of focusing the movie on the Invisible Man, um, that they were going to have it fo- be focused around a woman who was with the Invisible Man. And that's you know, um, to me that that's a pretty that's kind of the big change, but it's a welcome one in this. Uh, I really did appreciate that too, that it moved away from the horror, focused less on the horror and more on like the suspense thriller. Like this is filmed as a suspense thriller, right? 
maybe there it feels like there's certain in certain scenes there might be like supernatural elements but ultimately like in essence this story is that of using kind of like sci-fi and using horror quote-unquote horror it's like um as a backdrop for what is essentially a story about domestic abuse and overcoming said abuse right so the movie stars uh, Elizabeth Moss, which we saw in a horror movie earlier, again, in the early days of the show when we did Us. Uh, she was in that film as well. This is probably the second time that I've seen her in a horror film. Um, I'll say this about Elizabeth Moss. I, you know, I talked about it when we watched Us. Um, she was in The Handmaid's Tale. Uh, she was in Mad Men. I really like her in stuff that I see her in. <laughs> Like I do, uh, and 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 I was very excited about this movie pretty much because it was going to be her that was the star of it. Um, she's the girlfriend because I don't know if they're married at all, but she's the, nah, she's like the girlfriend. Yeah, she's the girlfriend to the main character who his name is in this movie is called Adrian Griffin, and I think they called him Adrian because they said Adrian sounded like a more modern name uh, in the original source material the character's name is simply griffin Mm -hmm. and um in the original invisible man griffin is uh he ends up he's like a chemist right and he develops a chemical that ends up create them ends up making him uh invisible right in this movie what they've done is that they've changed the character of griffin to a tech mogul and he has like basically he works in optics or or fiber optics or whatever optics right some sort of fucking it's using cameras and like being able to project light and things like that right and Um, this is something that is it doesn't exist right now but it's one of those things that there's enough people working on stuff like this that it's not too far away in the future right Mm -hmm. and what's and you know one thing that was interesting i mean just based on like a little bit of reading um a lot of like the character traits of griffin in the invisible man is still very similar to adrian griffin so it's like it's one of those things where even though they translated the character to like more modern times there is still a lot of stuff that keep that that is very similar in the way that like uh griffin i'm sorry adrian is very introverted he's not really somebody that has too many personal relationships he's one of those guys that's kind of a recluse right almost like a recluse because his home is completely isolated like as we as the film opens up like we see where him and our main character who i totally remember the name of elizabeth moss oh cecilia yeah oh (laughs) i knew something (laughs) <laughs> you know like we see cecilia and adrian's house and it's like a completely like it's like out in the open in the middle of the wilderness like it's a completely isolated home so it's like they found a way to translate the character to to, to modern times yeah one of the keys of the character of griffin in uh, the invisible man is that he's somebody who has a big ego and he's someone who's obsessed with the idea of power and i think that that absolutely comes across in this remake and what better way for him to exert that power and ego than to essentially become so he goes from being a universal monster (laughs) to being an actual monster before any of the sci-fi elements uh 
come into this movie. This is the last movie I watched in a movie theater <laughs> before, uh, you know, COVID hit and everyone went into lockdown. And maybe the last movie I watched in a theater for a while, right? <laughs> because drive-in movies are open. And here in California, movie theaters have just started opening up again. I'm not ready to take that step yet. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, th th this movie, I just knew about it. I've seen all the trailers leading up to it. Uh, I knew it was coming out in February. And just again, like I said, the people that were in it made me want to go see it. My wife and I went to watch it together. And I remember coming out of that movie just feeling it was really great. And I think before we even get into the review, I guess, I'd probably say that given the fact that not a lot of movies are coming out this year and so much stuff got pushed back and, you know, uh, this movie really is one of the highest grossing movies of the year because nothing else came out came out after. And if you ask me for my honest opinion, I would have thought this maybe before, you know, COVID really hit and movies stopped coming out. But now I definitely think now and it has a as good a chance as any. I think this movie deserves Oscar buzz around it because I think it's that good. Ooh, what a spicy hot take. I wasn't ready for that. I mean, we'll get into it, but I mean, yeah. I'm not saying I disagree. I'm not saying I agree. But suddenly, is this going to be like The Last Jedi where we just start punching each other? I certainly hope not. <laughs> I think it will be. <laughs> All right. So let's take it. Uh, well, you know, let's start with our little plot breakdown. So this film, and I'm glad you brought it up. The way this film begins has got to be one of the most original and like interesting ways that a film starts. Because as the action takes place in the beginning, I honestly thought I missed something. Or that I down, downloaded the wrong movie. I mean, that I like streamed the wrong movie because it was all of a sudden you start in the middle of things. So we have um, Cecilia. Essentially, the, the 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 film opens on the night Cecilia finally like she's creating. She's made a plan to get away from her abuser, Adrian Griffin. So we catch her on the night that she's finally putting her plan into action. And we find out, like, we find out so much stuff without a, like, not even a line of dialogue. It's all stuff that's completely shown to us. And I thought that was fantastic filmmaking because it was, it was literally uh, show don't tell, right? And it's like everything from Cecilia showing, like, showing us the diazepam uh, bottle and how you know, implying that she drugged Adrian. She checks to see if he's awake. And then um, this starts like her getaway, right? So as she starts going through the house, she starts gathering her things, changing into her street clothes, going down into the security um, system. Like th clearly this woman has been planning this and she's finally come up with the perfect way to, to finally get away from her abuser. Uh, using codes she's able to or using like uh, security codes she's able to shut down the cameras so she can make her getaway and right when we you know she's she's making her escape through the garage we think oh man finally she's able to make it oh he, of course here comes a dog 
that we all love because we're all humans and we all love doggos. And, you know, this dog has like a, like an electric collar. And of course she's trying to, she's trying to escape. She can't take her dog with her, but she ends up taking the elect, the, the, the collar off, which uh, through some happenstance, like, like uh, causes something to bump into a, uh, Adrian's car, causing the alarm to go off, which then sets off this freaking, high anxiety causing it does i don't i wouldn't want to call it a chasing not a chasing but essentially it's like cecilia trying to get away as fast as she can and she uh she takes off running across this like kind of a compound like the only way i can describe adrian griffin's home is just this super modern this super chic like uh compound-esque area like there there's a huge field like it's it's almost kind of like it's a very modern looking home uh as she and you know as cecilia is making her getaway she goes up and over the up and over the the wall uh to the property and just to show you how well planned her escape was she has it timed down to the to like to the t where her sister drives up and is like timed up so that they can meet up and as she as she's about to make her escape, Adrian Griffin comes like chasing her through the woods and ends up like smashing her window with his fist. And the Emily and Emily being Cecilia's sister and Cecilia are able to uh, make this like harrowing escape um, all in like what the first five minutes. <laughs> like I have to say the opening scene of this film is fantastic. It's really awesome. And one of the things that we talk about with these James Wan, uh, you know, movies, which I think is definitely crossed over with Lee Wanell here, is the art of jump scare. Setting up traps, making noise, stinging you and juicing you like during, <laughs> during like moments of tension and stuff like that. And this movie did an awesome fucking thing. This movie literally took a normal man who looks relatively attractive like he is an absolute like normal looking human being average looking what dude (laughs) he has made this guy an absolute monster to the point where every single time that you heard a sound in that house or every single time you know they did they pulled one of those things with the fucking car alarm and uh you know elizabeth moss running away and turning back around to look behind her you just knew that this guy was gonna catch up to her eventually and it's just that tension like that is the it's what i love about michael myers and laurie strode in the original halloween it's it's just there are few it's what i think i think it's as good i think it's the best opening to a horror movie that i've seen since scream you know, like it just where it the beginning of it in that opening segment is just pitch perfect. And maybe nothing else in the movie comes close to rivaling the absolute tension and just excellent like staging of it. But it just sets the movie up on such a high note. And uh, yeah, I think it's awesome. And it's one of those things where this scene establishes so much doing so little we already know Adrian Griffin is like this terrible villain and we haven't even heard the guy talk within the first five minutes, right? We don't know anything about him. We just know that Elizabeth Moss is scared 
for her life and she wants nothing to do with him and that's enough for us as the audience to already connect with her and already be like nope she needs to get away this guy's bad he is bad news run liz please (laughs) i think the other thing too is i appreciate the fact that lee wanell like treats the material that he's dealing with because obviously this movie is going to deal with some heavy subject matter he deals with it with the good level of sensitivity. Like he doesn't need to tell you all the things that Adrian has done. Even Cecilia is not going to tell us in, in bold detail, all the things that Adrian has done, but she will tell you enough to where you can relate to where she's coming from. And that's all you need to know. And that's the other thing where it's like, that is walking an awesome tightrope. Mm-hmm. Because if I can go back to Halloween for a, for a moment, rob zombies 2007 halloween movie (laughs) (laughs) he goes for like the low-hanging fruit when it comes to like you know what makes this kid a serial killer oh yeah well he hurts animals oh yeah well he you know is socially awkward oh yeah well he comes from like a trailer park home like you know it's just like all these things that just feel like easy answers right Mm -hmm. whereas like i think what makes it more complex and just makes it a higher level of filmmaking is the fact that you say a lot without having to say anything and i think that's perfect it it is and it's what makes a movie like halloween good halloween that original movie doesn't tell you anything about why michael myers is going after laurie strode it tells you all you need to know and then you fill in the rest of it if you want to but the simplicity of it is is what makes it so good and uh rare because movies have a habit of trying to over explain every horror movies in particular have a habit Mm -hmm. of over explaining everything to the point where it turns into exploitation really quickly yeah horror movies do have the and like you said there's a lot of films that walk this fine line of trying to over explain to the point where they're not scary or over explain to the point or try to give too much detail to the point where like you said it is exploitation um, thanks for reminding me. I forgot to say it at the beginning before I started talking about the first scene. Uh, content warning for <laughs> anyone listening. Uh, the subject matter in this film does deal heavily with um, suicide, self-harm, uh, domestic violence. And anyone that is listening to this, of course, if you ever need help with that stuff, please do not be afraid to go get help. I uh, wish we can give resources. Uh, I don't know those off the top of my head. Maybe we'll put them in like, I don't know, uh, uh, a social media post. Um, but yeah, we also in no way, shape or form uh, do we want to like take any of those subjects uh, lightly. You know, us talking about it, of course, will always be in the context of the film. So got that out of the way. Um, yeah, so Cecilia is able to make her escape with the help of Emily. Emily takes her to see our um our childhood friend or we're introduced to cecilia's childhood friend detective james lanier lanier i don't know how to pronounce it and his teenage daughter sydney and uh cecilia lives with them for about two three weeks uh in the entire time she is living in this constant fear of adrian coming to find her uh, to the point where she becomes kind of like, I don't want to say agoraphobic, but she does not want to go out of the house. She doesn't want to uh, be around anybody. She's completely mistrusting of anything, of any sort of surveillance, any sort of technology 
to the point where she covers the camera with like nail polish on her laptop. She is unable to even go as far to the mailbox to pick up the newspaper. Yeah, like they make it, they make it a, a big deal that it's such a triumph, the fact that she even went there. Uh, once she leaves, you know, once her sister absconds her from Adrian's mansion, she moves in with, uh, Jane, with, you know, with her childhood friend, obviously, and his daughter, which you just mentioned. Uh, he's also played by uh, Aldous Hodges, right? Aldous yeah, Hodge, Aldous Hodge sorry. Aldous Hodge, um, he, who I love in uh, Straight Outta Compton, where he played, uh, God, I don't know if it's MC Ren, that that's who he played in that movie. Um, I also really like him in, <laughs> when he was really young, he was in that first original season of Friday Night Lights. Um, he was? Yeah, he was a voodoo Tatum. Oh, that's right. The, the quarterback that, like, the quarterback that came from Louisiana after Katrina, and he ends up, mm-hmm. like, beating out Matt Saracen for the quarterback. Sorry, I don't want to turn this into a Friday Night Lights podcast because <laughs> we, we talk can't about talk forever. about it forever. But I've talked, I've loved this character. Like, I mean, I've loved this actor ever since I'd seen him in that. And I, everything that he's in, he's always really good in it. And, and I really want to kind of, I want to highlight the fact that I, what I like about this movie too is uh you know we have james and and his daughter sydney and they're both you know they're both black uh the actors who play them but one of the things that's really nice about it and so night of the living dead about it is it doesn't have to filter every one of their personality traits through the fact that they're black right like it's all you need to know about this character is he works for the san francisco police department he is a childhood friend of cecilia and he it's really refreshing to have a just platonic friendship between two characters uh and you know nothing it doesn't have to get too deep with race it doesn't have to get too deep with gender you know again the simplicity the movie does everything it needs to do uh and you love all the characters around them and also just because cecilia does seem so um at least from for me, like watching it as a viewer early in the movie, she she does seem so fragile and and you know just kind of like imagine all the things that she's gone through, and you just like have this like overwhelming feeling where you just wish you could kind of protect her, and that's why you like all the characters around her because you think that that's what they're there to do, and um, except for the sister, I don't know why I got really weird vibes from Emily since the beginning. <laughs> like I, it seemed like and i mean later on it, it gets played into like a, a story beat right but it was just one of those things where it's like from when she drops off uh cecilia at the uh at the uh, uh james's house it feels like she's um i don't want to say she feels burdened but you know like she just seems like um I don't know like she feels like she she deserves a little bit more like better treatment from her sister or something because it was something when their exchange when uh it was something weird about their exchange when Emily showed up to the house later to to talk to Cecilia about Adrian mm, no I, you, you, it just you know felt what? weird like it felt like it felt like it was a strained relationship no no to me it I mean it, it just feels normal like I mean because I'll put it to you this way. I think this movie kind of like does a really good job at playing just the like how 
not fragile, but just how like different friendships or relationships are with your siblings once you've kind of grown up and, and everyone's kind of got their own stuff going on, right? It's one of those things where it's like you grow up with your siblings and you're used to just being able to go and talk to them at any moment because you grew up in the same house together and you lived in the same house together. And I know I get this sometimes with my sister where it's like you just don't once you're like not living together anymore and everyone's got their own kind of stuff going on. There's kind of like this feeling of, well, I don't want to bug anybody or I don't want to get in the way or like, you know, so it's like. Sometimes you'll go days without talking to them and stuff like that. And I feel like that's kind of like what that's like. It's an, like to me, they don't feel like characters that are that dislike each other or there's some sort of weird strain in their relationship. It feels more like they're, you know, it, it's it's I'm here if you need me. Um, but for the most part, it's like, you know, they probably talk maybe once a week or something like that. Right that's the thing though when there's a dv like when there's somebody that's living through a domestic violence uh scenario when they're living through a domestic violent like relationship and there is a abuser and an an abused and and there's like that weird power dynamic like there that's the thing though like having worked in where you know the social services stuff like it actually does make sense that emily does feel like that that relationship between emily and cecilia is already strained because emily is already maybe because i mean that's what happens in those types of uh scenarios it's like the the abuser knows how to isolate the victim yeah exactly that's exactly where i was gonna go it's definitely feels like uh cecilia's been isolated from everyone that she knows and cares about uh, so i guess so yeah so um, because of that i guess it does make sense that emily does feel kind of like oh well what does she want now if she didn't listen to me when i told her not to hang out with that dude you know so i guess there's like some and i guess that's what's the 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 big like the huge thing about um the script and how well written the script is is it lets you infer and try to like figure out and fill in the dots or fill in the blanks right because there's so much that is it's left vague enough for you to kind of like have these theories without ever like being exploitive, you know? Yeah. And you know, it, it reminds me of when we were talking about the abuse in relationships when we did Rosemary's baby last month, right. Or a couple months ago. Uh, oh, that, holy in... <laughs> shit. When if Rosemary's baby was gaslighting the movie, this is like the remake of gaslighting the movie. <laughs> but you know what? I feel like it, it, w- w- what's different, though, is I feel like in Rosemary's baby, there's a fair amount of that stuff where like now it feels like subtext and it feels purposeful. I don't know if it was that purposeful, like back when that movie was being made. This one, oh, no, everything no. has purpose, right? Mm-hmm. But when you're watching something like Rosemary's Baby, like you get the feeling when you see Rosemary's friends at that party the one night where she just kind of like just needs to vent to them in the kitchen where mm-hmm. it's like, yes, like that is th- that's that's the manifestation of just like someone who's been isolated from everyone that she used to spend time with. And now all of a sudden it's like it, it's you're, you're stuck without them and you're trying to just spill about as much as you can of it in one moment. <laughs> and until the abuser comes back right and the other thing too where i think maybe the kind of awkwardness in their friendship comes from now as well is the fact that you know um 
Cecilia does not want her does not want her sister there <laughs> because um, you know she thinks that uh, it's going to be easy for Adrian to find her, right? Oh boy, is it easy? <laughs> yeah. Well, actually, so what ends up happening is that when Emily comes to visit her at one of the at uh, James's house, she comes with news saying that Adrian had committed suicide, and that. In his will, he had left her $5 million. So, well, I mean, that's something we find out when she talks to the brother. But it's crazy because immediately after, like, Cecilia gets this information, she, like, refuses to believe it. She immediately thinks that he's faked his death and that she thinks it's, like, all some sort of ruse to keep messing with her, right? To, like, keep abusing her. So uh, Cecilia and Emily end up going to um, to kind of like a hearing of reading of the will where this where I'm confused is Emily that because that was Emily with her. Right. So is Emily like a lawyer, too? Mm, I don't think they tell you what Emily like does. Right. Because she seems like she was like her legal representation, because at one point when the lawyer uh, who happens to be Adrian's brother, Tom, tries to read the arrangements including like a final letter that um adrian had left for cecilia which is of course a very manipulative and abusive letter uh (laughs) emily like immediately shuts it down and was like look if you really if she really wanted to be read you'll send it to me and i'll go over it with her later like there is no it's no well it's siblings right like they are siblings it's it's one of those things where it's like the reason you know but she does say my client at one point did she yeah i remember her saying my client i could be wrong honestly the movie never gave me any indication that she was that she was some sort of uh legal rep i mean she was definitely there for moral support and she was definitely there to as basically a barrier to keep uh, Cecilia from feeling victimized by Adrian from beyond the grave <laughs> in this moment. The grave. <laughs> um, I'll say one of the wonderful things that the movie does from this point on, uh, from you know this moment where you know she's talking with uh, what to call Tom Griffin, who is supposed to be Adrian's brother, obviously. Uh, after we get through this meeting, the rest of this movie, you just have this feeling that adrian is watching like every single moment that cecilia is like in this movie and that is the best detective movie that is the best slasher thing that you could possibly imagine it is so eerie to feel like he can be in any scene in all scenes just chilling in the background like i would love to hear uh, from the director that's like oh no so you know this scene and this scene and this scene yeah he was in the background the whole time <laughs> like that would be so fucking creepy to find out like what like what if he was in the room as they're reading the will right like the more you think about it the more freaky it becomes well this movie the 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 camera work does an excellent job of utilizing space and that is like you're anytime that you're watching Cecilia in a room where she's talking to someone else, the camera kind of like it, it, it widens, right? So you're looking at someone maybe on the left side of the screen and at the and on the right side, you're looking at an empty corner, right? So it like the camera kind of tells you visually that he could be there at any moment. 
and it's simple, right? Like you don't need to see the monster at all. You don't need any CGI or special effects in these moments. Just have the camera tell you like with the way that it's shooting space, someone could be in that corner. And Cecilia being someone who had lived with Adrian, like, you know, abusing her physically and emotionally, like she, she knows what it's like to be watched. She knows what it's like to be mocked. And it just, you know, she, she, it it doesn't feel like he's gone to her. (laughs) So the, the will leaves her $5 million payable in like, what is it? What is it? Like a hundred thousand dollar installments until essentially yeah a month until like the money runs out pretty much. Um, Of course uh, there are some stipulations that she can't, she has to be of sound body, body and mind and what was the other one she can't commit any crime right like she can't be found Mm -hmm. guilty of any criminal act or something like that so Mm -hmm. she signs it and the first thing she does with the money is like she starts um you know she 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 goes back home to james and sydney and she buys them a a ladder like as a joke (laughs) she buys a ladder as kind of like a gift for james but then you know she sets up a, le- a letter up on top of a bookcase at the house and has sydney to go uh to go get the letter and when she opens it um you know she sees that cecilia had set you know she set aside ten thousand dollars and it was going to be paying off essentially paying off her school because one of the things we learn about sydney is that she is a uh, old enough to she's going to college uh, the following school year and that she wants to go to Parsons however uh, it sounds like according to James like they might not be affording be able to afford it which given the fact that he works for the police department in San Francisco and looking at the neighborhood that they live in which this movie was shot in Australia right um, so they use the exterior shots of San Francisco but anything that you see on, on like, you know, from the scenes and stuff like that, I'll give it a lot of credit. The buildings that they pick are like, feel like San Francisco architecture. Like it does a good job of making it feel good enough. And it doesn't like point out any of the landmarks too much in those like street scenes to where like Godzilla, where you just know it feels like mm-hmm. yeah, they're definitely not in the right city in where they, that- and where yeah. they live. Sorry. No, go ahead. And where and where James lives feels like it could be somewhere on the peninsula, <laughs> like to me. Or if not, it would be like maybe somewhere in Mill Valley or Marin, right? Uh, go ahead and talk over me. I don't care. No, I'm just playing. <laughs> but no, what I was gonna say, shout out to Australia because you have some fucking awesome looking suburbs <laughs> and you have some fantastic looking cities. And this just now that I know this is an Australian, like or filmed in Australia, technically it's an Australian American movie. I really want to go visit, dude. Like, yeah. Like well, well Lee Lee One L is Australian, so that is that's likely why the movie takes place there. And um, but okay. the reason why I was bringing all of that up, right, was really just because, uh, given the fact that you know you look at where James lives, it's no wonder that he cannot afford Parsons for his daughter. <laughs> like, I know he spent it on having a sick ass house, and you know. <laughs> Uh, on a cop salary really <laughs> yeah i just want to say also i'm gonna ha- i'm gonna show some respect to our australian audience by not doing a super offensive terrible australian accent so oh i almost i almost immediately broke out into something terrible yeah 
I know you probably did. Shut up. I have respect. So they, you know, she sets up this bank account. Uh, immediately, Sydney and James want to celebrate. Uh, they get invited, or you know, they they get they pop open some bubbly. Of course, Sydney can't drink because she's not of age. Uh, but yeah, like it's actually really it, it's a really sweet moment. It's something where uh, Cecilia is trying to pay back the kindness that her friend showed her, right? So. At this point, I believe Cecilia starts having like really weird experiences around the house. And this is where the movie takes like some really cool, like supernatural, eerie, um, eerie uh, things going on, right? Like uh, the night in, in Sydney's room. So that, you know, it, it appears like cecilia is sharing a room with uh sydney like they're both sleeping on the same bed and at one point um i guess sydney is going for like she wants to become like a fashion designer so she has one of those uh fashion mannequins that you know you can put clothes on and you can like fix them like real time and shit first of all i hate these because once you put clothes on them they look like a real human and that's exactly what happens <laughs> cecilia wakes up and gets the ever-loving shit scared out of her and it's like she starts noticing like like how things kind of were moved around in the uh in the in the house or i'm sorry in the room and when she gets up you know she's like dragging a uh, a sheet which suddenly stops moving because it looks like there's a pair of two feet like just standing there and it's like the more she pulls and the more she pulls it um like it it, like she can't get it to move and i thought it was just like very fantastic like i thought it was really well done like i thought it was a really uh well shot scare um i forgot exactly what it is that leads to cecilia freaking out I think that, but there, she starts screaming uh, for James to come into the room and he comes running in, um, you know, Sydney grabs her mace and she's ready to mace whoever she sees. But this is like the beginning of uh, the invisible man torturing uh, Cecilia. Yes. And a nice nod to the original movie. Uh, when Cecilia's looking in the dark, uh, she sees what's obviously like Sydney's mannequin, right? Uh, wearing the garb of the Griffin character from the original Invisible Man, like the hat, oh, really? with the coat, and stuff like that. So, oh, nice little Easter egg. Yeah, yeah, and I definitely noticed that when I saw it, and I think it's good that this movie does that too. Again, it walks a tightrope of doing lots of things. It's telling a very serious story. It's trying to tell it with the utmost sensitivity possible. But it doesn't forget that it's a remake of a classic universal monster movie and it still has moments where it can give where it can just kind of like give a nod to those older movies. Mm -hmm. And it's like things start escalating from there. Um, Like she like there's certain parts where um, like I think later later on she has the, the 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 incident with the with the frying pan where she's like making breakfast for her and Sydney and when she walks away uh the invisible man turns up the heat on the frying pan causing like a small fire which Sydney comes and puts out and then uh, I think 
she what was it oh her job interview that's what it was so um leading up to you know sydney's trying to reestablish normalcy in her life one of the things she tries to do is she uh goes out to um she gets a job interview at what looks like an architecture firm um this movie doesn't really establish what kind of she i would say based on the drawings yes architecture and it's like when she gets there immediately she has like this really creepy interaction with her uh with her uh interviewer where you know he asks her like where she studied and you know what she was doing before that and she mentioned how she'd studied and like she was living in france as an undergrad and she lived there for like seven years and then (laughs) he says so wait why'd you why were you in france is it like a requirement for all beautiful women to live there at one point and i was just like ew like dude she's you're interviewing her what the fuck why are you hitting on her it's weird i didn't catch that but i definitely you've mentioned that to me before and i'll take your word for it really like yeah it was super like he wasn't super sleazy like he wasn't played up that way it was just one of those things where it's like eh, it would make me uncomfortable if i witnessed that you know um it was just like one of those weird interactions but you know he asked to see her some of her work and he asked to see some of her drawings and when she tries to open it or i mean open her portfolio she sees that she has nothing like everything had been taken out um and you know at this point she kind of gets up and she tries to walk away but you know she they do this really cool effect with the camera where it's like the camera um it looks like she's staying still but the camera is the one moving around at different and like at different angles to make it look like she's disoriented and then it ends with um Cecilia just eating shit and just like <laughs> falling over. I should really stop calling fainting eating shit. <laughs> <laughs> but what she finds out is that, you know, she gets taken to the hospital, that she actually had very high doses of diazepam in her system. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, she gets told by the doctor, and this immediately starts like it put her in this very hypervigilant state because the last time she ever had diazepam was the night that she got away from adrian yes. and, and because she gave it to him basically ex- to make him fall asleep exactly and she ran away with it until she lost it during a struggle during her escape yeah the moment that adrian busted the uh, the window open in uh, emily's car or like right before that happens uh cecilia you see the bottle of medicine like just drop out of her purse or the pills and and you know you're you left to infer that adrian definitely picked them up um During second nod oh, second nod to say. the original invisible man in this uh when uh cecilia and james are in the hospital cecilia looks uh, to see somebody being carried away in a hospital bed and their face is completely covered in bandages which is mm-hmm. another reference to the character from invisible man from the original did you get the uh did you see the um the hereditary trick that ends up happening when during the uh skillet or yeah during the the frying pan fire when uh cecilia like reaches over to to grab something and the knife falls by itself no i didn't catch that implying that uh that the invisible man was there the entire time and like took the knife (sighs) so i was like oh that was so cool because it's like it's one of those things where she 
she passes by it and or like she leaves the knife at an angle mm-hmm. on the on the ledge of the uh of the counter and it's like she tries to walk away or something and it looks like the way it looks like it naturally drops like the knife naturally drops but you never hear it like thunk when it hits the ground so it like implies that uh the invisible man grabbed it and walked away with it yeah so after the hospital incident happens with the diazepam that's where cecilia uh tells james that you know he needs she she needs him to come with her uh and they go see tom uh his brother again and this is where she tells uh where she tells tom that she that she's sure that adrian faked his death and uh because he you know he's an optics whatever genius uh that she said i don't know how he did it but he's found a way to make himself feel invisible and uh that he is like you know tormenting her and he you know james is just like absolutely shocked by what he's seeing <laughs> like he's you like know, this like, shit going crazy and then tom like becomes like sympathetic and he goes i know because he's been torturing me my whole life always like abusing me and making like me feel bad and something like that like this it's movie really- does a lot this movie does a lot of the you think this is what's gonna happen but no it's actually really like this it and, subverts expectations pretty hard right and it's pretty good at doing that but i obviously you do believe cecilia they continue to do the, t- the camera trick. Like it's more pronounced now mm-hmm. because you've had the initial incidents uh, where she knows for a fact that she's being followed by someone. Um, after this thing happens, uh, she, <laughs> uh, she goes, I don't know if she's like, <sighs> it's the house scene now. So it's yeah. like, so this is where Sydney and uh, Sydney and Cecilia are hanging out, and I forgot what they said. Oh, um, Sin- well, Sydney feels Cecilia's- for Cecilia because Cecilia is like starting to have like kind of like dissociative breaks, right? Right, and she's and on then- the floor crying. Uh, she's very clearly having a bit of a breakdown right now, and uh, you know it's. You can't imagine, right? Like, she's just going through all of the trauma. She's just reliving a ton of trauma in this moment. Mm-hmm. And, you know, she comes in and tells her, hey, guess what? We can have cake. We can have a girl's night. We can do all of this. And the moment that she gets close to Cecilia, that's where she's slapped by an invisible hand. Mm-hmm. And, invisible uh, hand of the free market. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, it's a brutal hit, right? Like, you just, and you know, like, the moment that you get hit by an invisible hand, you're like, man, that must hurt because you know that Adrian has hit Cecilia before and that that's what he does. Um, it terrifies Sydney. She calls in James. And James does what he has to do, right? Like as much as he cares about Cecilia, he does what a father's supposed to do. He yes. takes care of the, he takes care of his daughter, right? And he even says it. He says, "No offense, but I have a responsibility to take care of my daughter." I thought it was a, I mean, yeah. It, it, he these are well developed characters. Like simple as that. These are characters that actually make sense and that they are realistic and very clear motivations. Mm-hmm. And then from here on begins the i've i fucking love the the house scene dude yeah this is the first fight scene because uh, what's it called james and sydney leave the house 
They leave Cecilia alone. She goes outside out front, looks at the empty neighborhood and feels, you know, the like hot breath of something behind her. Um, You feel like she's being watched and she feels like she's being watched. Uh, She (laughs) ends up getting like a, a call from Adrian's phone. And she tries different ways to like protect herself, right? Like she throws coffee grounds all around her so that way she can see if there's footprints. Mm -hmm. Um, She gets paranormal activity. (laughs) Very much so. I totally got those vibes. I'm like, this is awesome. I'm like, I Cecilia's fucking smart, dude. Reminds me so much of paranormal activity. Yeah, even the bed scene too, where like where where Adrian's like pulling the blankets off, and uh, it's just like yeah, it, it feels like. You know, it's one of the things that made paranormal activity so scary. It's like the one place where you should be safe, you're not because there's an evil presence there. I mean, the only thing that would have been worse is if she dragged him from, I'm sorry, if he dragged her from the bed a la grab her by the feet, like, which is your biggest fear. Which I legit thought that that was going to happen when, when I watched the movie in theaters. Oh my God. So she gets the random call from Adrian's phone. And she ends up calling it back and she hears the vibrating, the vibration of the phone uh, directly above her in this, uh, in the ceiling, implying that's in the attic. So she climbs up, you know, she takes the ladder that she actually bought James, <laughs> climbs up into the crawl space and finds the phone along with the knife that was taken from uh, the kitchen earlier. She finds her drawings and one of, she found one more thing. I forgot what else. It was like a was it the shock collar or like her diazepam bottle? She found something else up yeah, there. Yeah, she found she found a series of things up there, which basically all they did was just point to the fact that it's yes, Adrian is absolutely following her. <laughs> and then when she ends up grabbing the phone, she starts heading back to, but she hears right, like she hears the footsteps of like someone walking around so it's like she gets closer to the crawl space hole and she as she uh approaches she becomes like more and more tense and then before she starts climbing down the ladder she grabs a can of paint and throws it on the ladder revealing that adrian (laughs) or the invisible man was in a suit the like is like in this weird like tryptophobic inspired suit <laughs> and he's just like covered in paint and he immediately like gives you that uh, awesome stinger of like, like an electric like short yeah and takes off running before you can even like register what's going on yeah the 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 score in this movie is just like these like machine like screeches that you just hear in the background and um, it, this was an awesome jump scare that got everyone in the theater. We were in the screen <laughs> and it got me too. like, I, I, even this time watching it because it had been a while since I'd seen it. Uh, it got me again. It was really, um, you know, the score, like going back to the score, like it's really industrial sounding. I really like that. But what's really cool about this is it's one of those things that it's, it's the little subtle details like, why are there paint cans up in the in the attic? Because James was repainting the house, or which we very clearly saw at the beginning of the film. Like, it's one of those things where it's like, 
every little thing in this film is done with with a good purpose like it's very well written and i don't think i can say that enough um yeah and it was a fantastic jump scare and you almost feel dumb for being like scared of it because it's not like all for all intents and purposes it's not really scary like the suit that uh the invisible man wears isn't really like a creepy looking suit but it does make you feel uncomfortable if you don't like holes in bodies <laughs> so from there on um the invisible man takes off running to like remove the paint as quickly as possible um cecilia goes she climbs down and she starts following the paint trail to try to find him eventually it goes out and then this begins the struggle of them fighting in the in the living room throughout the house um you know she gets thrown around a lot like she gets beat but then she you know she gives as as good as she gets like she starts hitting him with anything she can find um you know like uh we, we get that scene or we get that shot of him like choking her and picking her up making it look very supernatural i thought that was a really cool shot um but yeah just like the entire struggle like it's just she fights and claws and like and like she fights for her life it is a really intense scene her like being able to see her um you know, fight, fight against this unseen uh, villain, right? And eventually she's able to get away and using her phone, she calls herself an Uber. Uh, to, uh, and after she's able to escape from Adrian, she actually uh, uses the Uber to go out to, I forgot where he lives, but pretty much to go back to his house, uh, which she escaped from at the beginning of the film. Yeah, which, you know, it's... And the way the reason I knew this was not actually filmed in the Bay Area is because there's no place like this there. <laughs> I mean, definitely not that close to San Francisco unless you're living in the city. But because uh, they needed to cross a Golden Gate Bridge to get to where she was at, it's what makes me think that this is like the Marin area. Mm, gotcha, gotcha. I mean, no, by Petaluma, I'm pretty sure there's lo- big old stretches of land and forest. <laughs> People who like don't live in the Bay Area, like, what the fuck are these guys talking about right now? <laughs> <laughs> That's what I'm telling you. Like, there's probably people being like, "Oh my god, if I ever visit California, I know who's gonna be my fucking tour guide." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but yeah, like, so not sh- even that. We don't even know that much. Hey, I'll take you to some good taco spots out in Oakland, all right? I'll hook y'all up. So if anybody, any <laughs> listeners of the show, any y'all international mofos want to try some good street tacos, some delicious street meat, I got you. Yeah, once COVID is over, obviously, because uh, no one wants to come into this fucking virus-ridden country. Man, we can do a meet and greet with our fans once COVID is done. There'll be dozens. Dozens! <laughs> one person shows up all right let's get back to this movie <laughs> um where were we <laughs> <laughs> so cecilia got back to her house with um with uh adrian so she got back and th- so here when she gets back to the house she actually finds the second suit right yes so- there's two suits in this movie uh, Surprise, motherfucker. <laughs> gives me gives me scream vibes I, I from the moment that i saw that there was two suits i had a feeling that there was two killers I thought the two suits was really cool because she learns how to use the suit. And again, it's one of those things where they don't tell you, they show you by having the second suit. She learns how to use it and she learns like how it works. 
so that way us as an audience are able to see how it works so oh yeah we're like okay we see how it works um but once she grabs the suit and takes it and puts it in her bag she ends up putting it in that crawl space in her closet where she had like her her bag that was like her escape bag that was all packed um and then and it never gets brought up again it's like you see the moment where she discovers it and it doesn't come up again and you like in my mind like i was pretty much just left to infer that adrian was going to find that at some point and uh you know didn't did it did it make sense for her to go in there and hide it it's like eh, maybe but it's just like one of those things that's just like out of sight out of mind and you forget about it mm-hmm. now at this point she thinks she's being followed by adrian again so she manages to escape she leaves the house uh gets back into her uber comes back to the bay where she calls emily and says oh i forgot to mention that part so she calls emily and tells her that she, that i she knows that they're they're not getting along right now she knows she hates her but it's really important for her to meet up and that they talk because she thinks that um she's not going to live for much longer and that's really important for her to talk so the reason reason why why their relationship is super strained at this point is because earlier before the actual adrian hauntings began uh there was apparently an email that was sent from cecilia's computer that was a bench that was talking shit about her sister and essentially where she told her sister that that she wishes that she was the one who died instead of adrian or something like that it's so fucked it's it was so like, fucked up like i was like i was like wait a minute I was like did you really like is would an email be enough to convince you that like your sibling like hates you <laughs> yeah know. because when she goes and visits emily emily's like oh really you think i'm suffocating you after everything and she's like why don't you just pick a better guy next time <laughs> so <laughs> shit. and it's like again this is very like serious subject matter and we you know i laugh but it's because i'm uncomfortable by it i was very uncomfortable during that scene because you know i don't want to put too much on blast on where i've worked in the past but you know, I've dealt with, I've worked for an agency that dealt with some of these issues and it's like victim blaming. We'd want to think no one would ever do that, but mm-hmm. it's like, no, it's totally real. And sometimes it really is your family that like unknowingly like puts that additional stress on when on a victim of domestic violence. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, it, it, it you just feel that at this point she's being isolated and tortured all over again. But at this point, you know, she reaches out to her sister and her and Emily meet up for dinner at this really nice restaurant, which I feel I would never be able to go to. (laughs) Um, But, you know, they manage and it feels like they they reconnect for a little bit. Right. Um, You know, like like Cecilia is completely open with her and she tells Emily, like, I always felt like you were the strong one. And whenever I needed you, your strength helped me. And whenever I didn't, I was intimidated by it. But she's like, I always wish I was like half as strong as you were. And so she kind of like, they're able to kind of make up for, uh, they kind of make up for a little bit. And she tells her, look, what I'm going to tell you sounds crazy. I just need you to believe me. And she, she tells her about how she believes Adrian is wearing the special suit to be invisible to torture her. And very subtly, again, how they play with camera work, and these actors are really good at this as well, is how they're able to shift focus from certain things on the scene. So at one point, Emily starts focusing on something else, and you don't really know what it is, and you notice that it's a knife. Not just a knife, the knife that was taken from the 
kitchen that um that Cecilio held you know and has her fingerprints all over is floating like in the middle of this restaurant and then suddenly in one swoop the knife just like slices right through Emily's throat and <laughs> somehow gets like forced into into Cecilia's hand who is in complete shock seeing everything happen Emily just falls over like just bleeding out and just a random go- like patron of the rest patron of the restaurant just looks over and just starts screaming <laughs> yeah oh my god <laughs> so fucking insane this restaurant scene is crazy dude it's shocking it comes out of nowhere because you didn't think that this is going to happen especially in the way that it happens this movie is unrelentingly brutal and that killing was just a display of just quick surgical brutality uh and again we haven't seen adrian yet uh and it's just adrian feels like the most terrifying movie monster you could ever possibly imagine because you can't see where he is and the fact that he's just so cruel to cecilia it's just like damn it's like everything that you see now is just all you need to know that this guy was easily one of the top five worst people on earth it subvert this film is so fucking good at subverting expectations because it's like in in horror movies the idea is that if you can ever get out in public if you can be around people if you can be out in the open you will be safe but it's like adrian can hide in plain sight and it's like no matter what he will fuck you up like he this will scene, find a way to fuck you up this scene made people scream in the movie theater i am not surprised it was that it was that sudden and shocking and it happened so fucking fast you don't even have any chance to like really register what's going on and what's crazy is like it's the escalation right every time cecilia i was about to change her name to cecily but every time cecilia um like tries to reach out to someone and tries to make a, a relationship with somebody adrian takes it away when she was finally trying to like reach out to 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 sydney you know that's when adrian was like i can't have that and he smacks you know he slaps her right and then it's like now emily and her emily and cecilia are having like they're 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 reconciling their relationship and it looks like oh cecilia might have a shot he immediately takes it away again it's like this guy's fucking brutal dude yeah and and when she said that earlier she was talking to james like or either earlier or later there's a scene where she talks to him and says this is what he does he isolates me Mm -hmm. it's one of those things where it's like we're seeing what he does. We're seeing his game plan. And right. We don't need to know the things that he did when they were in a relationship together because what we're seeing right now tells us enough. Mm-hmm. So at this point, Cecilia gets arrested. Um, you know, she's holding the bloody knife. She's covered in her sister's blood. Um, she gets tackled by who I thought was the waiter at first. <laughs> no, it was, it was a police officer. <laughs> it was a police officer. She ends up getting arrested, and of course, her she she starts screaming that um he did it right, that it was mm-hmm. him. So she gets um you know she she gets taken into interrogation for with um with james and his partner and she insists it was adrian and you know worse off or i guess worse off for her 
she the way she talks about him she refuses to look away from this one corner in the room and she just looks at it with her glazed over eyes right being like i can see you i know you're there mm-hmm. and she's like you you can't hide from me anymore in the entire time as the audience you're just like you know she's right but to everyone else outside of her experience she is you know she she unfortunately she's not well they think she's insane at this point and you know whenever she they, you know she gets moved to this um hospital kind of like an asylum where and she swears up and down she screams again that uh that it was him and that he that adrian killed her sister and that she's gonna get back at him right so while she's in the mental hospital we actually find out that um cecilia's pregnant right and i was trying to remember when that exactly that conversation first came up uh the conversation first comes up when after cecilia comes back from the hospital when the diazepam thing happened Mm -hmm. she got a phone call from the doctor and the doctor didn't exactly tell her that she was pregnant but said that there was something that she needed that they they needed to tell her in person Mm -hmm. so you're left to infer that that's where they would have told her that she was pregnant and then one and then later on she has she's having a conversation with like james where she talks about how she was taking um birth control in private like you know secretly so that adrian would never know that because he wanted a kid right um so you know she was taking she was taking her birth control so he would never know so that way she would never actually have his child because the last thing she wants is to bring a child into this relationship um and of course in comes tom being the sleazy disgusting lawyer that he is wearing his stupid fucking suits that are like two sizes too small because they don't fit Actually, his but, suits are tailored, and they look really nice. I'm not going to hate on his suits. No, nah, I hate his suits. <laughs> Actually, no, it, it was done on purpose. So apparently um, there is a... I was reading on on Wikipedia, on IMDb Trivia, that Tom's suits were meant to not fit him properly to make you feel like uh, something wasn't really right about him. Oh, okay. Yeah. So it was... Yeah, it was one of those things that they like did on purpose. I just thought it was a well-tailored suit. <laughs> oh, maybe you don't have class. You ever think of that? <laughs> I think that because I had class, that's probably why I thought that. Are you saying I don't have class? I'm the classiest motherfucker I know. <laughs> Rips fart. <laughs> oh, no, that was a wet one. Okay, I'm done. I'm done. <laughs> so anyway, so Tom, of course, comes in saying that, well, Cecilia murdered somebody and she's not fit mind and she's probably going to get a guilty verdict. However, you know, if, if so he comes in with a contract saying or legal documentation saying that they're going to cease payments of the $5 million that she was owed. Right. So, but however, Tom also says that they're able to, uh, that they're going to be able to make this all go away. If Cecilia simply, carries the baby to term and agrees to stay with adrian so shocking again fucking terrifying to think (laughs) about especially in this day and age where you know women's reproductive rights are 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 being 
fucking discussion again during an election cycle dude it's so fucking weird like i grew up like in reading history books in high school where we talk about like roe v wade and stuff like that and how that was such a landmark decision and stuff like that we literally live in a world where one of the greatest landmark decisions you know that has allowed women to do what they can with their bodies like for their own health safety and you know just because it's not anyone else's business like we really are living in a world where that could go away in just a few months from now and that is absolutely fucking shocking and terrifying gives you more reasons to hate adrian adrian literally is fucking donald trump (laughs) except you know as a super villain so yeah he's just like <laughs> Except Donald Trump hasn't figured out how to make himself invisible yet. <laughs> no. How do I work this thing? It like turns off like just his clothes, so it looks like he's naked. <laughs> but uh anyway, yeah, this is what I do like about this is that it feels like this is the moment where Cecilia, now that everything that she thought was happening is confirmed that that's what's happening, this is where she takes control. Mm-hmm. And I love that part about it. The switch, the, the the switch flips, um, and uh, Cecilia. Well, this part she really does decide that she's going to take the pen that was there at the table. Uh, you know, she gets it back to her room somehow, and she's going to attempt to kill herself. Mm-hmm. And um, there's no like dialogue or anything that goes with it. But you're left to assume that obviously, if Adrian wants her to have the baby you know either one of two things is going to happen she's going to kill herself and then the baby's going to die and then there's no baby for adrian or adrian wants that baby yeah adrian wants that baby to be born so he's gonna stop her from doing it and that's where she's going to be able to catch him and it really felt like in halloween 2018 where you get that judy greer moment where she's Mm -hmm. like acting super vulnerable and then the moment michael myers shows up at the top of the staircase that's where you get the gotcha and she like shoots him that's exactly what the moment is here where she's in the shower about to kill herself (laughs) and adrian stops her and once like and you find out that she's fashioned the tip of this pen into some sort of makeshift like shank shiv fuck yeah Uh, i was like prison rules bitch and then well, yeah, because then after once uh, once she sees where Adrian is, like she starts jabbing the living shit out of him and like just sticking him with the. <laughs> I was like, "Get him in the eye, goddamn it! Get him in the eyes!" But she starts stabbing him, and what this does is it actually causes the suit to malfunction. So randomly, the suit will go from invisible to visible, right? But it's like it's broken in a way where it's like only like half his torso uh pops in and out of sight and so we get this awesome hallway fight scene where all these like san francisco county deputies are trying to stop him and it's like it it, the suit flickers on and off and he'll go invisible and then he'll do some shit like you know starts knocking out all these um all these deputies or he'll kill some of them or like he'll shoot them with with like he'll take their own guns and shoot them it's just really, really well coordinated ac- action scene. Uh, however, he knows he is uh, knowing that this suit is damaged and he's been compromised. Uh, the Invisible Man takes off running. Um, meanwhile, uh, Cecilia goes after him, chasing him through the parking lot, um, leading to like these really like intense moments of standoffs between Cecilia and the uh, sheriff's deputies. She ends up chasing him out um yeah she ends up chasing him 
uh, out of the what's it called? She ends up chasing him out of the complex and remembering that uh, Adrian had said something to the effect that she would he wouldn't want to kill her, but he'll take away anything she loves. Um, she deduces that Adrian, after escaping the the uh, asylum, that he's actually going to go after James and his daughter. So she ends up, <laughs> so she ends up forcing a uh, no 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 no. It was Adrian forcing a car accident where a guy crashes. Uh, Cecilia ends up stealing his car <laughs> and chasing after um, chasing after Adrian. So when they get to the house. Uh, she manages to call James to, uh, to tell him that her, him and his, her daughter, I'm sorry, him and his daughter are in danger. So, you know, they, they try to prepare, but of course, how do you prepare for something you can't see? So Adrian attacks, beating James almost like within an inch of his life, just like brutally like beats him. Um However, uh, Cecilia comes in just in time to save him using the fire extinguisher that Cecilia, uh, not Cecilia, sorry, um, Sydney had used to put out the fire earlier. She uh, uses that so that she can see exactly where Adrian is. And then she takes out the gun that she stole from one of the deputies and just unloads the magazine into him, like firing five shots, killing him as he falls to the floor, right? And then uh, the suit kind of like gives way and she walks over to take off his mask, revealing that it wasn't actually Adrian, but this is actually Tom, Adrian's brother, implying that Tom has been the one that's been attacking her. So, yeah, the house confrontation is awesome. You know, we get the this bait and switch making you, th- you know, really making you even question whether uh adrian was alive at all during this whole time and honestly to me this is me personally if the film had ended right there i would have been okay with it i thought that would have been a fantastic ending so it actually kind of fakes you out into thinking that was the ending but it turns out there's actually more that happens i like that it doesn't end here Mm. because this fake out ending felt anticlimactic and not really great when we get the actual ending that comes up next, this is what turns this movie from a good horror movie, uh, you know, or just the, you know, a great horror movie that I saw this year to one of the best horror movies that I've seen, like in a very long time. And you see, I'm the opposite. I'm like, this is where the movie just kind of loses me. Oh. This is where it tries to do too much. And why is going on? Because then it's, it overcomplicates things. Then it's got to get all weird. Like It gets better. It gets so much better. Mm. Because then you get the phone call from... The, you, then, then you find out that uh, Cecilia wants to get in touch with Adrian again. Right? And... Uh, oh, well, you get the overcomplicated uh, situation where it's like cops break into... Or, you know, they, they, they go to Adrian's compound and find him and it turns out he's been kidnapped by Tom or at least it's made to look like that. Well, yeah, he's a supervillain. We established that already. Um, and you and I know this because our president is someone who was a, you know, well-known rich person before then. 
rich guys, rich white men in this country get away with absolutely anything. They can change the rules and leverage things so that they make themselves look innocent and people in the media will buy it. And it's just, again, they are free from so many consequences because of their privilege. That's absolutely what happens here. This guy is used to getting what he wants all the time. His brother is now out of the way. It's very clear that what Tom said about being bullied by his brother and how he's like essentially his man dog, like that is true stuff because he literally just got his brother to get killed for him. Um, he has no remorse about the fact that, uh, that, that his brother is now dead. Um, Cecilia comes over. He plays this thing where he's like, well, I didn't know what you wanted to eat. So, you know, I just got all three things. And it's just like, it seems like he's trying to be cute, but at the same time where he just doesn't realize how absolutely fucking horrifying he really looks (laughs) and just, you know, how thoroughly unlikable this guy is. Um, He continues to, you know, to talk to Cecilia, like it's not him that's been behind all of this. Right when they're sitting down. The tension in this scene is awesome. Cecilia's not going to be satisfied until he either admits what he did, you know, or until what's about to happen next. Because again, I forgot about that second suit that was in the crawl space. I thought the movie was practically over. And I thought that this scene would end up with either Cecilia leaving him or maybe Cecilia stays with him. And much like the end of Rosemary's baby, you know, uh, stays to raise satan's son <laughs> with, with satan <laughs> yeah like it, it's just you didn't really know where it was gonna go and the fact that the camera that she turned at the very beginning of the movie when she was escaping is pointing directly at the dining room table the fact that cecilia is there wearing a wire um I would say that given given like the kind of brilliant character that Adrian has turned out to be, the one thing that doesn't fully make sense is how he wouldn't just have just thought in his own mind that Cecilia was wearing a wire and having whatever he said was recorded. Or maybe he did know, and that's why he didn't admit anything on a recording, right? Like obviously he he never says anything really incriminating about himself. And I guess Um, that could be the one thing, right? Because she doesn't go to put on the suit until after he refuses, like after he refuses to take any admission of guilt or give any admission of guilt over what he does. Well, no, not until after. She she waits until after he says the word surprise. And he says the word surprise exactly like whoever was on the phone said it exactly or like whoever was by her said it in one of the scenes and just the fact that you know the phone that was in the attic had the word surprise in capital letters right Mm -hmm. so yeah at that point um cecilia well no it's not not cecilia it's never really implied that cecilia but what we get is that as um you know, as uh, Adrian is like cutting into his food using the the kitchen knife, mm-hmm. he suddenly like forces the knife at his own throat and slits his own throat on camera, uh, killing himself at the uh, at the dinner table. And then, you know, after some time passes, um, Cecilia like finds him bleeding out. And she runs over, you know, come, 
like completely bawling her eyes out, calls 911 in hysterics saying that she thinks Adrian tried to kill himself and to please send somebody. And then it's like as soon as she as soon as the call ends, like the 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 mask drops, right? And she like switches she shifts exactly like her facial expression changes and she just watches him die on slowly like um you know to the point where she like even taunts him (laughs) Mm -hmm. she like taunts him as he passes away or as he finally like you know dies and you see the life leave his eyes sweet sweet revenge yeah sweet sweet revenge he was essentially such a monster to her that she wasn't going to be free of him until she became a monster herself. So the invisible man was ultimately murdered by the invisible woman. And at the end of the, once, you know, once the phone call happens, James gets out of the car, he runs in the house and he sees it, you know, Adrian is bled to death on his carpet. And that's where Cecilia tells him, Hey, the camera's right there. It saw that he killed himself. You know, mm-hmm. in the same manner that it looked like, you know, uh, uh, Emily had been murdered in, right? Like it was, it was just, it was an absolute just retaliation for what happened. It was her taking control of her life back. And it was the fact that Cecilia was not going to be satisfied. She was not going to be able to breathe a sigh of relief until this monster was gone. And, uh, you know, she takes the suit and it's in her bag and James sees it in her bag. And I think you know he seems compromised when he says you know it looks like he killed himself but at the very same time i'm sure a guy like james who got the living shit beat out of him and you know nearly had his daughter like killed by this guy you know or this guy's disciple that uh he understands that you know it's one of those things where it's like this guy was too evil to be left alive <laughs> not really like to me I obviously he doesn't feel that right i mean i but got the vibe more that he was like not like this guy still deserved to you know face face you know face trial for his crimes or something like that mm-hmm. and because otherwise it's like why would you agree to even do the the what's it called the the wire to begin with right especially if him if he's trying to be a good cop um but yeah you know roll credits you know she she's able to escape she leaves the she leaves carrying the suit james lets her walk by and you know she's finally she's finally free of him and roll credits and that's invisible man (laughs) yeah and i love the music at the end of this i love like the final scene of her you know just you know uh rising up from the staircase from the front door and uh, it's just it's awesome it's excellent it's perfect it is a perfect ending for me like it, it, this movie is good and I, I i i will fight for it that i think this movie at least deserves consideration for best picture there's just no way it doesn't it, this movie this movie joins the fly and the thing as two remakes that you can argue outdo the original remember this is a remake of the hollow man (laughs) actually i i don't know there was there originally like an original like invisible man movie yes the dark universe invisible man movie that they were going to be working on was actually going to star johnny depp and i think it was going to be a lot more true to the original uh movie from the 30s and johnny depp was going to be the griffin character in that I'm very mm. glad that that didn't happen. 
I think this is better. And I, and I would hope that this gives uh, Universal the balls to kind of move forward and do other very good modern version of their uh, monster output. I think it's really the only way to go. I don't need to see all these monsters fight each other. <laughs> I don't need to see. I, the do. invis- I don't need to see the Invisible Woman like fight the Bride of Frankenstein. Or do I? I'm cool with it. <laughs> <laughs> do, I, do I really? Yes, yes, I do. <laughs> but like I said, this movie I think did what Jamie Lee Curtis thought Halloween 2018 was going to do even better. Like it really is incredible to me, and I'm glad that this movie exists, and I'm glad that this mo- that this movie has the honor of, like, being the last movie I saw in a movie theater for a very long time. <laughs> oh, wow, what a great honor it must be. I mean, you saw... I mean, you saw Teen Titans go to the movies in the movie theaters. <laughs> okay. It's not, it's not really a part of a very elite group now, is it? Alright, Javi, do you like uh, The Invisible Man 2020? I mean, yeah, I'm not going to lie. I liked it. It's just that the ending really was like, really took me out of it. I was that last like arc or like couple that that last like 20 minutes of the movie I felt was like. So you're saying you would have been much more satisfied if it was Adrian's brother. That was the actual killer. Adrian is really dead. And that's that 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 would have been satisfying to you. I honestly do feel it would have maybe you would have had like another scene where it would have been like. I don't know something revealing how unhinged uh, Tom was and how he was affected by the same abuse that Adrian put him through, and that's why that in turn turned him into abuser too. I and think the problem with that is about. I think and then, the problem, know, and then you talk about how trauma can also create trauma of abusers can also create abusers. You know, that's true, but I feel like that takes away from the fact that Griffin, that Adrian is the monster. And it's funny, Tom and Adrian are both Griffins, right? Like they're both Griffin brothers. So either one of them could have been the killer and it would have still either one of them could have been Griffin. Yeah. Either. And and, and it could have been like true to the source material, but I, to me, I don't think I would have been satisfied. There's no way I would have been satisfied if it was the brother. It had to be the fact that it was Adrian and this like ending scene is the cherry on top of the Sunday. I, I think it's it's what elevates the movie from where it would have been. I don't know. I just think like I think like you could have had two months. Like you would still have the thing instead of of instead of Cecilia having to become a monster to kill a monster. You would have just had how Adrian created another monster to, and how the cycle repeated itself until um, Cecilia finally put an end to it. Right. Um, I don't know. It's just it felt too Gone Girl at the end, dude. Like, and that's weird because I like Gone Girl, but it's like I was already I already had this movie like pegged as a sci-fi horror, like uh, like what's it called, a suspense thriller, and then suddenly it turned into like a Gone Girl kind of rehash, and I was just like, eh. I mean. No, don't get me wrong. I still like the movie. I feel like people should really watch it. It just kind of like took away some of the steam from me. I, I mean, I still think it's a fantastic movie and I still think people should check it out. I thought Elizabeth Moss was fantastic. I thought everyone was fantastic. I thought the acting in this movie was really good. I mm-hmm. thought the script was really strong. I felt, um, you know, they did a really good job of bringing up stuff from the they did a really good job of uh, writing scenes with purpose. Like everything had a purpose and it was fantastic the way they were able to show things. They didn't have to tell you as an audience member. And of course, like 
because your villain, your main bad guy in the movie is invisible, it plays a lot with sound and ambient noise, which I thought was fantastic as well. So overall, I do like the movie and I think people uh, should watch it. I don't just don't think I'm going to I don't think I'm going to champion it as hard, you know, but I mean, again, that's your choice. You like this movie. This movie really resonated with you, apparently. <laughs> All right. Well, we, we will end this on an agree to disagree, <laughs> but we'd like to I think, like, but, like but I'm not that, but that's not it. But that's not like it. Like, I'm not saying you're wrong. And I'm not, I'm just saying like, I, I think, I think it's interesting. We, this is one of those movies on this show where you and I just walk away with a fundamental disagreement on the end of it. It doesn't mean we have to fight each other. I no, think we're going to fight each other. Shut up. It's going to be like, I think it's good that we have two different perspectives on this, which is, Compared to the original episodes of this show where we would just say fuck you to each other like 50 times in an episode, I think we we're learning to become a lot more civil now. You know, I thought this was a great conversation. I hope, you know, our audience enjoys it. And uh, I'm really excited that we're still talking about horror movies this October. Um, now that, you know, in the background, we have finally uh, settled out our, the remainder of, Oct- of our October schedule um and we'll post it on the instagram page in its full beautiful glory but uh, next week we're going to be coming back to do another listener request and this one is going to be the 90s (laughs) slasher movie i know what you did last summer oh yeah (laughs) and uh, i'm looking forward to that one I'm looking forward to that because that's one of those movies that came out in the aftermath of Scream and was kind of like, I think it was in the Scream ripoffs, like, you know, vein. And I haven't seen that movie since the 90s. So I'm looking forward to seeing it again in full. For anyone that wants to watch it, I believe I know what you did last summer is on Hulu and on Amazon Prime. Uh, so if you already have Hulu, you should be able to watch it. It should be on Amazon Prime in case you want to. Also, if you have a Prime account, you should be able to check it out. But yeah, we look forward to you know having y'all uh, join us and listening to the review and watching spooky movies with us. Yep, so we'll talk to you guys next time. Later, y'all. <laughs>